Good evening, you're listening to Three Moves Ahead. I am your host, Troy Goodfellow. Rob is indisposed this week, so once again, I am taking over lead chair just by myself with two other guests, two frequent guests who are favorite guests, to talk about Endless Legend, a 4X game that has been you know, kind of burning up uh, my Twitter feed for a bit from Amplitude Studios, from the people who made Endless Space. We have with us from we have two freelance writers. Well, I guess, Fraser, you're not a freelance. You're a PC Games End exclusively, right? Yeah, no freelancing anymore. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. Fraser <laughs> Brown, of course, you all know very well. And a freelancer who writes for IGN and also is lead editor of a very great Game of Thrones site called Winter is Coming, our friend Rowan Kaiser. Hello. So, Endless uh, Legend, um, I guess I should begin by asking, did you guys put any time to Endless Space? Yeah, um, I actually reviewed it back when I was still writing for Destructoid. I really liked it, but it was had some massive flaws, and it, it, it lacked it lacked personality, I think, was the thing it lacked the most. Um, you had all this kind of great backstory, but none of it ever kind of came into play in the game, which is completely different from Endless Legend, which is just oozing personality from every pore. Rowan? Um, yeah, pretty much the same. I didn't play too much Endless Space. I got in a Steam sale later, um, but found... Found it to be sparse, and the way that they had their tech tree set up was pretty, um, I don't know, it was like a bunch of fictional things that took two turns to research, and I just, you know, got overwhelmed by choice and could not care about any of it. Right. Um, So uh, that was my big, like, gameplay issue with Endless Space, which I generally liked otherwise, but it it still did not displace Master of Orion 2 as my preferred space 4x game so here we have endless legend which is i mean they call it fantasy but it's got bits of science fiction it's got a science fantasy it's a bit of weirdness to it it's a strange uh little world it is a hex-based uh empire building game in the civilization model um but quite different in very many ways does anyone want to describe if you're coming to Endless Legend from Civilization, what are the first three things you'll notice that are completely that'll throw you off? It's like hero units are are one thing, I guess. You're sort of your generals, uh, really, um, because they're they're basically like almost like role playing heroes. They have their own stats. They have equipment uh, that you can buy by unlocking new resources so you can constantly upgrade them and they command troops in battle but also go around exploring and participating in quests which i guess is one of the other things that will be quite different from someone who's experienced with civilization um it they, they does draw from a lot of, of role-playing stuff and it kind of reminded me of um uh was it elemental war magic and fallen enchantress mm-hmm um, it was a little bit like that, where it tried to kind of uh, squash role-playing adventures with uh, strategy 4X stuff. Um, however, I think it was done a lot more successfully uh, with Endless Legend. Uh, although I haven't really gone back to uh, 
Elemental for a long time. So <laughs> no, I, I think you're absolutely right there. We'll get into some of the differences. I had that same thought, that same comparison as I was playing. Uh, Rowan, you're a big Civ player. Did you have any trouble making the adjustment? I wouldn't necessarily say this is trouble, but one of the things that is very different is that you only build one city in each little region of the map, and uh, that kind of stops a lot of the um, like grubbing for individual spaces that you get in Civilization, uh, and uh, in-game micromanagement becomes less so because you have only certain amounts of cities. Um, so I think that was a that's a change that may take some getting used to, especially as you like look at each region and see there are some resources here I want and some resources over here that I want, and I'm not sure which one I should go to. So there are still some decisions like that, uh, as opposed to civilization where you just build two cities on each of those sides. Yeah, the whole region uh, dynamic for the map is really quite. I'm, there must be other games that have done this, just aren't coming to mind. Um, I know some RTSs have done. I know that one of the Empire Earth games uh, was divided into regions. But and then you can only have like one center per region, each region's own resources. But here, the all the regions are different sizes. They all have their own resource nodes. You only put one city in each region, so you might not necessarily want the largest region, but it might have little... Uh, enemy villages within it you can assimilate and bring in or maybe extra titanium you can mine or extract and it is you can't necessarily see everything going on in your region all the time so it is this really unusual way of looking at you know how it understands space and how it understands you know wilderness and wild there's a bit of a there's a bit of an Alpha Centauri, uh, Pandora thing going on because you have you do have wandering monsters that can actually cause quite a bit of damage if you're lazy and stupid, and you know don't pay much attention to what your heroes are doing. You can get you know large armies besieged of natives besieging your cities and sapping all of your money and paying attention to what, what, what is populating in your regions, which you might not know when you plop down your first city yet, or even your second city, is an important decision. But, I mean, you're right, Ron. This isn't a game where you rush out a bunch of settlers and go on this, you know, Oklahoma land rush. Yeah. Um, since you mentioned it, the, I think the, the thing that threw me the most from Civ five at least is that it's very easy early on to just get kind of screwed over by an invading army uh civ five did a lot to make a quick rush much less dangerous by uh, making cities a lot harder to kill and giving them those powerful um uh city attacks um so basically unless you're going up against the huns with those battering rams like you pretty safe through most of the first section like you can get you can get damaged but you're generally pretty safe for the first hundred turns or so um whereas in endless legend you can just have an enemy wander over um either a neutral one or a uh or an opposing faction and they'll besiege your city and you have no real recourse they do take what they do tend to do is is actually besiege it which gives you 
uh, you know, a number of turns to kind of lead your hero unit and any uh, soldiers they have back to the city to defend it. If you've got any, though, I guess if it's at the yeah. early part of the game, you you might only have one city and one really tiny army. Um, so you certainly can be screwed over quite quickly. Um, although I, I, I found that it wasn't a very aggressive game. It was... Yeah. The, right. the enemies were quite passive. Um, they'd go to war, and obviously the, uh, the little uh, roving bands of monsters could be... They start off as quite aggressive, unless you actually take over their settlements. Um, but the actual... Uh, Kind of main factions were more interested in diplomacy, and, and it, kind of, it was only once that diplomacy broke down that they would really go to war. Yeah, uh, like it's just occasionally, randomly at the start you'd get that, and then after that it was much more of a much more of an exploration focused sort of forex and um, slow expansion, which is generally the part that I prefer over the uh, extermination part. See, that's what I find quite fun about this, was it was a nice change in pace, because if you're looking at, like, Age of Wonders 3 or Warlock 2, both great games, mm -hmm. but very much war-focused. Um, they were all about the battles and conquering cities, and sure, all the other Xs still had their place, but there was very much about exterminating. Um, whereas it feels like in Age of Legends, each X gets its time in the sun um it can you can play as a kind of a warmonger but you've even got uh, is it the the draken the 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 dragon type faction yeah. their whole thing is they don't care about wealth and power and military might they're all about diplomacy and being nice to everyone so there's like a faction that's all about being pals <laughs> there's also uh the roving traders or whatever who cannot oh, declare yeah. aggressive war right um it might the be the necrophage who can only they're like they start off with like no allies can never get allies and are always at war and we should probably talk about the world building here and the factions because it took me a while to figure out who was who and what they were doing because they're all so distinct from each other and it's a fiction that if you don't dig into doesn't always make a whole lot of sense if you're jumping from faction to faction. It is very much... It's still a sci-fi game. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's, there's magic, and you have a lot of fantasy tropes, but it's set in a science fiction-style universe, and you even have one faction which has like come crashing down onto the planet in a spaceship and become stuck there. So it, it still very much ties into endless space. It, it's taking place in the same universe. Um, it uses the same resources like dust and things like that. Um, but yeah, the, the, the diversity of the factions is really quite startling. Um, every single one of them feels completely distinct. Um, and the lore ties into like, all the gameplay mechanics as well. My, my favourite faction was the, the Broken Lords, who are the sort of ghostly, vampiric knights who were once very chivalrous, but now are like feeding on dust and life force and stuff like that. Um, and everything about them is, is they have to spend dust for everything. So for cities to grow, instead of farming, they have to spend dust, the main currency. So it, it, they're, they're driven to becoming wealthy because that's the only way they can grow. It's the only way they can heal their units.
well. Right. Um, and that's completely different to any of the other uh, factions. Um, like playing one and then playing another, they're, they're completely different games. Yeah, there's also one that uh, the cultists who are like the one city challenge, and oh yeah, um, there is uh, the one that I played the most is the wild walkers who are kind of the normal elves, um, and uh, it was interesting to just play as a sort of normal faction. Uh, the necrophages, which you said, are kind of like the zombie, zombie or zerg of the the game, who uh, are just trying to devour everything. And uh, it it all ties in with like what they say the story is. Each faction also has like a main quest that they're trying to do, right. which is a good way for them to. It's a good way that Endless Legend differentiates itself from um, Civ Five, especially with the expansions, where Civ Five has extremely different factions, but it doesn't really say that anything about them. But that's okay because they're real world, and so like you know that Venice is makes sense as a one city challenge. So this has to do a lot more work with its quests and its background stuff, and especially its pre- overall graphical presentation, which I think we should talk a lot more about later. But uh, Yeah, we'll certainly get into uh, how the game looks, because I think that's one thing that's getting quite a bit of attention. Um, we talked a bit about the map. We've talked a bit about how the, the, the faction diversity and how the game separates itself uh, from Civ and other 4X games. And I want to go back to something we were talking to be touched on, and that is the different routes to victory, the different ways uh, the game plays, just in general, the diplomatic side, the military side, the research side. Uh, this is the stuff you'll see in every Empire Builder. This is not, you know, it, this game doesn't exactly till a whole lot of new ground in discovering these things, but it does present them in some interesting ways. For example... Uh, the way diplomacy is managed, the way diplomacy is viewed. Uh, just look at the interface, how it's set up in this like, almost like an amphitheater semicircle with little figures and how close they are to each other and how close they are to you to represent their diplomatic relationship to you. And it's like, wow, this is some really unusual stuff going on as far as visual demonstrations of information, something that there is probably too little creativity, I think, and how Empire Builders and 4X games give us information beyond the usual menu stuff. And I think it, this game goes a long way in remedying that. One of the things that I liked when I went to preview the game, um, I just, at GDC, I got handed, hey, hey, go talk to um, the publishers who were, what, Nordic Games? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, hey, go preview their games. And so I talked to these guys, and it's like, Everything that they were saying about what they were trying to do to make a better 4X game and a better game than Endless Space was like, okay, you have had exactly the same problems that I've had with like maintaining attention on certain in these games in certain ways, and you're act- actively trying to do that. And I don't think they succeed entirely, um, but I think they made a lot of interesting and usually successful attempts at fixing a lot of the problems. For example, the um, the research tree or research nodes or whatever in this game you know a lot of a lot of games go off the civilization model of basically you're going down a straight path and you're just progressing and you can see where you are essentially on a linear line and some people can be ahead of you and some of you are behind and that kind of makes sense for a historical game because you know we know the march of progress in the real world but i don't think it's a great gameplay 
idea because it gets the player focused too much on where they are on that path. Um, so I don't think there's any really good reason for a non-historical game to do something like that. An Endless Legend has um, four, five or six ages where all of these... Each time you get to an age, you can research any of the things in any order, and they all cost the same as each other. And you get to each age by researching like eight or ten from the previous age. So it's really non-linear, and it does a, just kind of a good job of making sure you're focused on what is actually useful to you instead of what is like where you should be given your time period. Um so I think that's a really impressive change, and it's I think it's also something that the genre is sort of trending toward. Um, the the new Civ game, which is similar in a lot of ways, uses the tech spider web that uh, reduces the linearity of the progress. Um, so I think that I I like that people who are smart about strategy games are thinking about doing these things in these ways. And I think Endless Legends works fairly well. By the end of the game, I think it gets overwhelming with all the choices from all the previous ages as well as your current age. Yeah, at, but, at, at a point, there's just a lot of scrolling back and forth. What do I really need now? What is best? Because what is later might not necessarily be the best thing for you right now, but that's how we've been trained. At yeah. the end game, you can go back, and if you've not researched all of the first era texts, you can go and research them. There's no limits to that. Right. Yeah, they cost a little less than the normal ones, but they still have like a, a price inflation. Right. And it's hard to tell exactly like how much the inflation is costing you. But by the end of the game, like I usually play strategy games on the slow or epic settings. Mm -hmm. And even by the, the end of the game, I was researching things in like four or five turns. So it wasn't that big of a deal. How did you find the interface, Fraser? I uh, I loved it. I thought it was... it's. One of my favorite 4X or just general strategy game interfaces. I loved how it could be very tactile. Um, for instance, like when you have a city um, and you, you've got your workers in the city, and, and as the city grows, either by you know uh, growing food, uh, if you're most of the factions, or spending money, uh, if you're the broken lords, you get more workers, and then you can just drag them to different aspects of the city to increase your your dust or your, your currency output um your technology your re, you know your research um and it it just feels nice to build it. and and you don't just drag them individually you can drag them as a group so if you have three workers um helping with research but you're flat broke and you need them to start working on dust production you can just grab all three of them and drag them over and that's such a, a small thing but it just makes empire management or sorry city management so much easier yeah um and it's kind of it's interestingly juxtaposed to how many numbers and things you have to to keep track of because there's a lot but it feels like there are ways to really get a handle of them very easily um like there's a lot of things that you can really just ignore and, and let happen and just and focus on the big picture stuff very easily and you see those changes instantly like when you're moving you know the workers you immediately see the benefits of of your decision um and that's that feels really good i think it might be a little too easy at times i think it, 
the game can sometimes feel like it's on autopilot a bit. Yeah, I, 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 I guess it's it certainly managing that, using that interface never felt like a challenge. Um, and maybe it does allow you... But I, I think rather than being on autopilot, it allows you to then explore other aspects of the game without feeling yeah. like you're letting your empire go. Like, if you just want to go and explore and do lots of quests or follow the storyline, uh, you can do that and not feel like, but you know, back in your capital city, everything's going terribly wrong and people are getting very upset. Um it, and I think that way it allows you to experience the whole breadth of the 4X genre. Uh, so it, I think it's actually more of a strength, although I can, I can see how it might feel like if you were just really wanting to get into the nitty and gritty of, of city management, it feels like there's not as much that you can really do it's, or it's need less, to do. It's, yeah, it's, it's less that and more the feeling that like, I'm not actually certain how great of a strategy game this is. Like, just in terms of peer mechanics and how everything interacts. And it feels like the things I can do are there, but how they interact, it's hard to see. Um, and this isn't necessarily a criticism, because I think that uh, it works as an overall experience. But, like, when I get when I got uh, Brave New World or whatever... Um, you know, I can see how all these trade routes and all these new things that it's added are interacting with one another. And that seemed really cool. And I get, get a game like SimCity and I'm like, wait, is this just really pretty and there's nothing underneath? And eventually, yes, it became clear there was actually nothing underneath. And with this game, it's hard to tell if it's like just going through the motions of a strategy game while having like a really awesome interface and presentation or if there is actually a really good strategy game underneath there. And I kind of, and again, this isn't like a full criticism. Like there could well be that really great strategy game, or it could just be a great experience for the aesthetics and act of playing it. And maybe it's not deep enough to keep playing for six months. But um, yeah, it's it's very odd to me as a strategy game critic that I can't quite put my finger on how deep this is. I mean, there there are certain things like um, we haven't talked about the sort of empire plans which I find quite interesting, um, where you spend influence, which is one of the resources you, right. can, you can generate from your cities. And it's a very um, important resource, because you use that very, in a lot of places. Like diplomacy as well. Like you need a, a hell of a lot of influence. And there's always this sort of like, do I want to spend it now or save it up? And on the, one of the biggest influence costs is your empire plan, where you are, um, I can't remember how many turns it lasts for. Um, I don't think it's too many. You can change it quite a lot. Right. But it, 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 you focus on certain aspects or, or um, you get certain bonuses. You're, 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 so, you're, you're, in fact, you're spending influence on, in fact, perks. You're buying perks yeah. for your empire for exactly. the next you know, 10, 20 turns or however long it lasts. So construction costs might be reduced by like 20% or your troops might get, uh, greater uh, sight ranges, like better visibility, um, and there's there's four different sort of trees, I guess. And as you go down them, they are more and more expensive. Um, so if you want all of these perks, you can get them if you have an, enough of a stockpile of influence. But then you spend that, and maybe you really want to end a war that's not going quite well. But you go into the diplomacy screens, like you don't have the influence to actually to 
make a treaty and end this war because you've just spent it on improving uh, your empire with all these bonuses. So I, I think that, that's definitely, there's some strategy there. Maybe it's more management than strategy. You're sort of weighing up what you spend in different places. Um, but it felt like there was a lot going on there. Uh, and sometimes, even like well into the, the game, when I had quite a lot of influence, I would just decide that my empire plan, I'd only throw a little bit of influence at and get a couple of perks, because I was surrounded by potential enemies, people were starting to get a bit pissed off with me because I was uh, conquering quite a lot. Uh, and I just thought, right, I'll save this influence, so just in case I need to make a few tr quick treaties, I can do that with a lot of different factions. Well, your empire plan is sort of like your State of the Union address. You're deciding <laughs> what you're going to be doing for the next so many turns, and you're going to focus on those things. So you don't have to spend all of, you don't have to get all of the great bonuses, just what you really need now for exactly. construction or if you're going to be going to war in the next turns because you're planning it. And so it's an empire plan that is deciding what the direction your world is going, your kingdom is going to be taking for the next little bit. And then you get to adjust that all over again. And it's, it's, it's a really nice little way to in, kind of incentivize planning um, to kind of ask you to think in longer terms. I mean, when I first saw it, I thought, okay, this is... I just buy a bonus, that's great. But no, it's actually not buying just buying a bonus. It is, what do I want to do with this to help me for the next little bit, knowing I don't have to stick with it the rest of the way. It's unlike, say, you know, the social policies in Civ Five, um, or the civics in Civ Four, where you pick one, you're pretty much stuck with it. Not in Civ Four, the civics you move around quite a bit. But the social policies in Civ Five. You pick one, you're, you're stuck with it. I mean, that's it. You know, you pick Liberty and you get your free settler, and that's not going to do you any good for the rest of the game. You just got a free settler. Um, you can't undo that. Um, it's something that's done. It's the civic it's set. The social policy, it's done. Here we have a plan you ad that adjusts based on what you want to do in the short term, in the near term. And I really like the way that it forced me to think about what do I want to be doing instead of just looking at the pretty map, just exploring and just messing around with things? A good example of how that's useful is if you're going down the expansion um, planning, they have uh, a bonus to overall empire happiness, um, which is uh, basically there's a percentage of happiness for each city that's how many you know happiness buildings versus how big it is um, it's a more direct percentage than s civilization especially civ 5 which has you know 600 different happiness things that leads to your plus four or whatever <laughs> um, so and the text to get the buildings that will improve your happiness are pretty slow coming so if you are like sitting there waiting two eras for the next tech you can bump up the happiness thing and keep expanding or bump up the expansion plan and keep expanding because it gives you the happiness buff that you can eventually get rid of because you'll be able to build those uh buildings so um there's some good medium term planning there that uh it it does help i agree with you guys there and isn't it great how it also, I mean, it, it teaches you that this is, it's important to plan by saying it's coming up. So I think it's like five turns before 
you actually need to to implement an empire plan if you want. You can just ignore it if you if you feel like it. Um, so you've got five turns to save up that influence, um, and that's just a nice bit. It's it's user friendly, I think, and it because and because it's like a slightly unusual mechanic. Uh, it's there just to kind of remind you that things happen a bit differently in this game. And it feels like Amplitude's really thought it out quite well. Um, it, it feels overall like the, the studio has really learned a lot after uh, Endless Space. Like, it feels like a very different studio. Let's talk a bit about the, about the tactical battles. This is one of those, you know, empire-building games that insists on having tactical battles. And we've had a few of those... Um, Especially, you see them a lot in science fiction games. You see them occasionally in fantasy games, and I think we and, and they're all the time in fantasy games. Ele- it's the Master of Magic, Ma- Master of Magic, Elemental. They're just they're there. It's like really, for some reason, they think this is kind of important. Um, and you know, in Civ Five, we have, in effect, tactical battles. Only they're fought, you know, by armies on the larger map. Who wants to give the shorthand explanation of how this game very cleverly, I think turns stacked armies into neat little hex battles. Basically, they're really keen on their map, is uh, well, it's a, the it's way a, to start it's that. It's a very good-looking map. This is one of the best-looking empire-building yes. games I've ever played. Um, it's a very good-looking map, and it's also it's got uh, elevation that matters, and um, they wanted to have like these little army-stack battles, but they also wanted to have the sort of Civ Five one unit per hex idea. So what happens is when you get into a battle, the units in your stacks spread out over the map, and it like zooms in on that section of the map. It's not the entire thing. Um, there is still like a tactical battle mode that you uh, is not directly related to the strategic screen, um, or is not directly affecting the strategic scene. Uh, so they spread out, it zooms in, and like those little hills that you've built your city on are suddenly the places that your archers can rain arrows down from. And, uh, you know, you, you can learn how to fight in the valleys and so on, um, which is a good way of making sure that the map is, con- is a constantly interesting presence, which is more difficult in these games. And I think that... Uh, uh, you guys have talked about this, especially with Space 4X games, about how the lack of like detail on the map keeps them kind of boring. Um, so th- this game it keeps you intently focused on the map, for one thing. Then for another, kind of like Endless Space, it's not you control each unit as it moves each time. You, ha- you set up sort of a plan before each phase of the battle. It's a lot more detailed than Endless Spaces, where you do give it the individual units orders and then they will follow them out and you or they will follow those orders and you just watch um endless space had the like card system with a little rock paper scissor thing that did most of that where in this it is the units directly fighting one another um but it's still a hell of a lot faster than um and uh fallen enchantress or a uh master of magic or even age of wonders although age of wonders got the speed right for doing that but you still had to move each unit individually where this you just click a few times at the start of each turn and watch it go which is uh a lot more relaxing it's a strange system i i i i don't know what to make of it i liked it right because it didn't you know as ron said it, it doesn't take up too much time and it is quite relaxing um 
and, and the way it makes the most of the map is just absolutely brilliant. But I felt I would have loved a little bit more control. Mm -hmm. I feel what you've got of all control? of these. Well, you've got all of these really interesting looking units right and they've all got their own lore and backstories they can come from different little micro factions or your own major one and i just feel you're really just saying like attack that guy or go over there or stand on that mountain uh, and i would have just loved to be able to get more in depth with them and i suppose that kind of happens before the battles when you're wandering around and getting on adventures and you're leveling up your units and giving them more like or the different armor or weapons and things like that. Um, it, it feels like you have a lot of control over your units at that point. But then when it comes to the actual battle, it feels like there's a lot less. Um, and I, I guess there's also the fact that I just, I really liked endless uh, spaces, card based battles, even though they're quite hands off as well. I just find them very novel. Uh, uh, and I, I'm a sucker for novelty. And I know that those battles were really divisive. Like, I think Rob thinks they're terrible. Um, but I just, I thoroughly enjoy just being able to play these cards. And it felt like just a complete, like, different take on, on these sorts of 4X battles. Uh, there's, there's nothing really like Endless Space uh, when it comes to the fighting. And I, I, I understand with Endless Legend that they're trying to give you that feel that you are a commander. So you're giving almost kind of very simple commands of where the where your troops need to be and where they need to tackle with the enemy. And then you kind of just see how the turn pans out and then you deal with the consequences of that. So it's almost like you're getting messages back from the front and then saying, okay, now you do this. So I appreciate that, but I just think I... I I would have had more fun if I could have really gotten more control over those units and, and been able to have them do more special abilities and things like that, even if that would have meant that the battles would have been slower and, and drawn out things. Well, I mean, that's really the trade-off, right, in all these mm -hmm. tactical battle systems. I mean, look at something like Elemental, where the fantasy battles eventually got to be, Fallen Enchantress, they eventually got to be decent with the AI mm. not being, you know, a complete pushover. Um, but they just take forever. And you and can't, it's the same with, with Age of Wonders can be quite cool. And you can't trust the automation because they will just spend all of your mana doing God knows what in a battle. At least the automation, I think, in Endless Legend, it's, you know, it's sometimes you know, they lose battles, I think I'll win, but what do I know? I just pretend that, you know, Haig's my general and he's throwing men at a wall, so. The thing is, if, it, you know, when, when, when I hear like, oh, it, it takes too long for this, this battle to play out or something like that, I wonder why that's a problem. I mean, if you don't like the battles, then it's definitely a problem. But if the actual combat's good enough, surely you want that to take a long time. I mean, you're, you're, you're playing a game that generally takes up a lot of time anyway. 4X games are not something you finish in half an hour. Uh, they require some serious time investment. Um, so you're already in that mindset. So I don't understand why the battle shouldn't be like that as well, if they're fun. Well, this is the uh, Sid Meier thing, right? He says they, they distract from the real experience, the real heart of the game, which is the Empire building. And <clears throat> anything that takes too long in tactical battles that distracts from that 
you know, gets to be a problem. And you had this, you have this dual design. And even, I mean, we look at the creative assembly games, how often there'll be one part that's really good and one part that's really, really bad. And very rarely do well, they, they get the Well, they got that right work. with Rome too, where they got both parts wrong. <laughs> I just, I, I, you know, I look at like Age of Wonders 3 and I, I see that because the, the Empire building stuff isn't great. It's not bad at all. But it's it's not nearly as interesting as the actual uh, tactical combat and just the general kind of fantasy exploration stuff as well. Um, but the but that the, the actual combat in Age of Wonders three was, was absolutely brilliant, um, and I would have loved to see something like that in. Uh, in Endless Legend. I mean, maybe I'm asking for too much. I'm asking for, like, all of these, you know, massive expanded components. Uh, but it would just, it would have been really fun to see something like that put in a game where the Empire building is brilliant as well. You know, for I mean, all this is what we <laughs> This is what we talked about with the Age of Wonders thing, I think. When we did the podcast on our own. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the the, uh, it's really hard for these companies to, and understandably so, for them to get the balance between making both sides of the tactical and the strategic work. And um, Creative Assembly has gotten it right at times. Um, but even still, there are points where, like, I'll go, you know, 30 turns while building up my empire, not actually at war with anyone in a in a total war game and i'll feel like the balance starts to get off and i start realizing like all the flaws in the um, strategic system or i'll have like six armies come at me every turn um and i'll have to just keep fighting these busy work battles over and over and over and i start seeing the flaws in the tactical system and uh, so even the when they get it right it's still really easy to get it wrong just in terms of balance of playtime. um and i think that I really appreciate it when uh, the studios manage to find a way to make certain that the side of their game that is they think is better or is better, um, or that even just that you prefer is it's you know it's clear that Endless Legend says this is a strategic game with a slight tactical component um, as opposed to a, a Fallen Enchantress which tries to have it both ways and I think the tactical side usually in these sorts of games um, is the one that falls down because it's just kind of boring to move units around the random map um, over and over and over. I guess ultimately the, the kind of very light tactical combat does work. Uh, that's the important thing. It, it's it it isn't ju- it doesn't feel like it's just been lazily thrown into the games. They no. can say they have tactical combat, uh, and and the stuff that you do get control over works really well. Uh, like when you're actually using elevation and things like that, um, and and beforehand where you're being a little bit more strategic about it and building up your armies by uh, upgrading them. Uh, and giving them better armor and weapons and amulets. It's all very kind of RPG-like, that stuff. That's quite compelling as well. Uh, but it just I, it gets to the point where you feel, you, know, you feel like this kind of commander just looking at it from afar and, and not getting to get right in there into nitty-gritty. And I kind of, I sometimes wish I could do that. But it is just me wanting everything. 
I'm just I'm just a greedy Scot. You are. <laughs> you know, I I don't necessarily think that having Age of Wonders three style combat would not work here, um, mm. because that played fast. That was hex based and um, and very it used map things based. like cover and the environment yeah. actually played a role in it. Yeah. Um, but that's like the only time where I've actually liked the tactical combat in one of these fantasy games more than I liked the strategic element. Um, so I, I think that they might have struck something rare there that I'm not sure that other other game companies will actually succeed at doing regularly. Um, it would be nice if they did, but um, I don't know like how much money they had to invest in getting it to play so quickly and informatively and interestingly because... Um, I assume other companies are just as smart as them, but uh, weren't able to quite get that get to that point for whatever reasons. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's something that can be projected onto other games just from a pragmatic perspective. But I think that it could work here. But I'm okay with them going with the much faster. Uh, less control style because i'm not a huge fan of it of the tactical combat in the 4x games so i want to talk about the game's pacing because this is something that i've i mean this is partly my problem this is a game that i've started and stopped like probably a dozen times i get to the mid game i think oh now i've figured something out let me try all over again um and so i'm never quite sure if i'm never going to get to an end game because i'm just exploring and learning still <laughs> or if I just don't want to see the end games. I'm not sure what it looks like for I care there's going to be an end game. If there's no crescendo, I don't never feel like there's a crescendo coming. If there's a, a buildup of, you know, anything snowballing or some great conflict coming. I don't know if that's the because of the inertness of the AI or my own caution or impatience or my desire to completely always push, you know, start over, escape to main menu, new game. That's like, might as well be my nickname at this point when I play Endless Legend. Uh, it's a long nickname. It's not a, the best one. I'll think of a better one later. Troy it Re- doesn't roll off the it tongue, does it? <laughs> Troy Restart, good fellow. There we go. Restart, good fellow. Um, <laughs> so you guys have finally finished the game, uh, certainly more than I have. Uh, but even though I, I like this game quite a bit, I spent a lot more time and I found... Doing in the in the early game, there's so much of the early game of just exploration and finding things, and then there's kind of a mid game, but I'm not sure if there's an end game or not. I know that Rowan, you weren't a huge, or you, you had a lot of kind of questions about the end game, and you weren't really sure this if one, it this made one of the points much in your, sense. This is one of the points in your IGN review, Rowan. Yeah, it's it's just that like at at a certain point. Well, first of all. Um, as I said, the tech tree or tech system is basically how you measure your progress in these kinds of games. Um, that's always there for anyone, any faction, um, whether you're going for a military victory or a cultural victory in like a Civ game. Um, you you can measure yourself by where you are on that. And at a certain point in like the third or fourth age, that starts bogging down because it becomes as viable to pick things from previous ages as the next age. And there isn't like a good feeling that with this, you know, fourth age tech, you're just going to blow everyone out of the water. Like there's always like some mitigating factor. Um, 
I think part of that is also that the military side of this game seems pretty... I don't know if low-key is quite the right word, but um, it doesn't feel like you're filling the map with units. You can only have like a couple stacks moving around at a time. That This is the way that I feel like it's working like before the before you know they start dying or uh you run out of money or whatever so it doesn't give you the feeling of like you're building this huge army and you're going to get into a world war one style um knock down drag them out situation um you can get into like smaller versions of that but like the the i never got the feeling that it was building up to like the world war sort of ending so i didn't really get a feeling from either the military side or the tech side that i was getting to you know that climax there were the quests but the quests start getting so 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 specific the deeper you get into them that um like you can just stall on one of those for a hundred turns because it's like oh I just realized that when you say you're building a city to level two, that means you're building in a circle instead of a line, um, which we can talk about the city building in a minute uh, when we get into the graphics, because I think they're, they're related. Um, but like, I had no idea that this was how it was done, so I had to get get a city to the point where I would be able to build it to a level two city, and... Uh, that meant just sitting and waiting. So, um, yeah, the the sense of progress that you get toward the end um, seems fairly lacking. And I'm again, this is a case where I'm not sure if it's that I'm expecting a Civ style progress that isn't there, mm-hmm. or if the game is actually seriously flawed in this respect, or you know something else, some combination of the two with uh, another thing. Maybe it's just a game where it just kind of keeps going. Um, it says there are victory conditions, but it's more about just like interacting with the game. So I, I kind of felt that some of the strongest stuff was at the start, where you're, or not just the start, because it can go really for a long time, because you can get some big worlds and there are a lot of little different things to explore mm-hmm. and ventures to go on and quest to get. Um, but all that sort of, the, the, the novel stuff that you don't get in other 4X games most of that is before you hit endgame and then you get to the point where um, all the provinces have been colonized um, which can happen quite quickly if you're just playing on a sort of Pangea style uh, game map Um, and then really it's all about managing your relationships with the various factions that have survived to this point and I actually still find that quite interesting because you've developed relationships but potentially with these other factions and you'll have history with them maybe you went to war with them maybe they're really scared of you because their army is shit and yours is really good or it's they even get envious of you if you are higher up the rankings than you which i find really weird because i'm like they actually have a list of rankings themselves i mean i see that on the ui but do they have like a, a courtier come in and be like all right we're number one at the moment, these guys are number two, so they're probably going to be pretty the Elder envious. just finished his rankings. <laughs> it's very odd, but I, it's a bit quirky. Uh, but yeah, they have these sorts of relationships and, and attitudes towards you, and that's what I feel the end game is. It's about managing these factions that have become potentially quite bloated, 
uh, and, and watching them interact with each other as well because they all even though they can be quite passive there are quite a few that are aggressive like if you've got the necrophages in a game then there's going to be quite a bit of war because they can't make right. allies and everyone is just repulsed by them and rightly so because there's zombie bugs that eat everything so it, it kind of becomes about playing this sort of massive continental game where you're dealing with all these different powers and maybe you're deciding to conquer or to ally with everyone or maybe you just have your own sort of goals that you've decided you know you want a specific city or you want to unlock a certain tech it, it just feels less guided at that point you're not driven by exploring new places and clearing out the fog of war and, and uncovering new new races because you find them all so I think that's why it's a little bit weird. It's a, a strange change in pace because you've explored so much of the game, it's now down to you to sort of build the end game yourself. Yeah. Which is really, it, it's a bit daunting. Suddenly, it's like, right, you're in charge. Uh, I guess there's the story, the quests that drive things. But, but as Rowan said, sometimes they can be really weird. I got that exact same one where it was build your city up to level two. And I'm like, how the hell is it not level two yet? Until I realized yeah. the way that you actually level up cities by building the different uh, districts around them. Uh, so so it is. it can be a little bit confusing. Yeah, I wonder if a, a lot, some of it does come down to the thing Rowan said, like to the tech tree, is there is no sense of... Necess- there's no march of progress. There's no real way you can say okay i am getting to the end because i have i mean this could still it could all just be a matter of perception i'm getting to the end game because i have like three quarters of the text researched in like the last sector and that's I mean, each not faction the way does the game have... works and each factor has their own quests but even yeah. they fill their quests there's still this some of the quests are just not say broken but just weird even the smaller yeah. ones, like how do you even get to these? Like I'm a necrophage to so assimilate people or parley. I can't parley. Why am I getting a parley quest? How do I parley? That's not always clear. Uh, my ambassadors, my hero can't doesn't have the parley abilities. How do I parley with people? What do how do I do this? I think I think my favorite weird quest is and by favorite I mean the one that I always hate to get. Um, when you go to parley with a one one of the neutral villages in one of the regions and they say hey we hear that these other guys are threatening to attack us you have to go kill them and so instead of being able to parlay with the other one at any point you immediately are only stuck with the choice of having to destroy the village you just talked to or the village they told you to destroy otherwise you're just going to have that quest forever and they'll never join you directly Uh, you have to settle the dispute one way or another uh you can't just go and say hi to the guys that you've been asked to kill, which does seem a bit and silly. It'd be quite cool to be sneaky and just go up and be like, all right, well, these guys uh, want us to kill you. Why don't you do something for us and we'll go kill them? Yeah, and and you can't just cancel the quest and say, you know, let's try a different way. Because, um, you know, we, this is, you know, my RPG habits, but I want to finish all my quests. <laughs> But superseding those quests, you do. Each faction has their own uh, victory style uh, you, that you see when you actually choose them. So the the broken lords are uh, predisposed to like conquest victories, and I think that the necrophages are the same. 
But then you have others, which is like um, the Draken have like diplomatic victory. I mean, they all make sense for the lore the poor, behind the them. The poor Draken. I love the Draken, although in every game where I've not been playing them, they just get wiped out really quickly. They, they were the ones doing the wiping out in my bit game. Oh, really? Because they're, they're <laughs> yeah. like nice. <laughs> they're the yeah, ones that are all weird. like Yeah, it was weird. It's sucks. just like um, the they're, Vault they're, Lords, they're the whole I think. The friendship is magic race. I mean, how are they... <laughs> What did you do to them to make them so I, angry? It wasn't me. It was like I took over, you know, my third of the map. I wiped out the cultists because they were being really annoying. And uh, the vault lords took over a pretty big chunk of the map. And then the draken declared war on them from their tiny part. And they won the war. They just, like, rampaged over the vault lords entirely. So now they suddenly had as much as I did. Um <laughs> They can make, I mean, factions can make massive jumps in power. It's a lot like Civ in that regard, that you can see a war going on in some other corner of the world, mm-hmm. and it, it, it looks from your vantage to be pretty even, in ter- at least in terms of like how much land each faction controls. And then all of a sudden the map changes, and that red half and green half is now just one giant green swathe. And you're like, how did that happen? And then you've just got this, like, massive superpower wandering around. It's just, I mean, this game's really great with showing you some inf- with information, displaying information, but you have to unlearn so much because, you know, the size of the territories you control is so rarely connected to the amount of power you actually have. You just have yeah. one city there and it has nothing to do with anything. It's not, the borders just mean I have a city there. That's really it. Um, so the largest... The biggest color on the map is not necessarily the most powerful civilization, which takes a while to twist your brain around because that's not how we've been trained to see expansion in games. Expansion means success. Expansion means you're doing better than the other guy. That's why one of the four X's is expansion. It's a route to victory and how you know you're doing better than the Draken. It's about clever expansion. Yeah, uh, yeah. Sound, which is which is great because if you, I mean and if you look and, at the and, real and, world, it's supported expansion. It's expansion with it's something un, with an army to keep it going um, and taking advantage of the resources within it. It's also city placement. Um, like I restarted a bunch of these games until I got one with like two super resources I could build my first city next to, and then I just dominated, the, um, or at least I dominated as much as I needed to to stay safe. Like I never like declared war on everyone to see, but uh, yeah, it was like I feel like the figuring out where the best resources are in each place and getting lucky in the and that your your city placement is possible to be next to some really good uh, resources. Well, that changes like over Civ, time as well because you can unlock when you're doing the research stuff. You'll unlock uh, well, new there minerals are two different and things kinds. like that. There are two different kinds. There are the ones that you unlock things that do specific, um, you build up, which is actually interesting, and we should talk about that for a second, because uh, that's a mechanic I didn't even notice existed for most, <laughs> of, the, most of my playtime. Um, so there are the resources that do a specific thing, and then there are, like, the, I guess, the, like, sort of natural... Uh, background i don't know but they're like fountains of magic and uh um escaped specimens and all these different things that all they do is they enhance what that hex does if your city is next to it um they don't get, grant you like external things they just you know 
spice up your production a lot. And the one that I built next to was one that, uh, like, on one side of me was a hex that built up my production, and on the other side was a hex that built up my food. So my city was essentially set from the very beginning to have the two most important early expansion things. Uh, And that's what it took for me to like get into the middle game and end game was getting lucky with my initial city placement did you ever play as the roving what are they called the roving nomads yeah. or roving traders or whatever they're called because they're because they can just up sticks and move their city uh, yeah which and is that's an brilliant. interesting it's an interesting idea but i'm not sure like if it's that important in practice other than the first city because you want to get your first city down as quickly as you can but uh, you don't necessarily, you haven't necessarily explored the entirety of your uh, of your initial region. So I think it can help like, more when you get to uh, further down the tech tree, where you're suddenly getting like unlocking more resources on the map that didn't appear before. But those so, resources, you build things on rather than... I mean, you can build your city on them and get the bonuses, yeah. but you can also just build a build mine natural, in that place. Yeah. So um, I I didn't feel that that was that important, but I didn't play them very far in. So maybe yeah, I in just, the... I fiddled around with them a little bit. I just, it, it's cool, though, that you can have these sorts of very distinct factions where you are just like, you can literally just up sticks and move to a completely different location within that province. I will have to try that. It's good fun. I think the last game I played, they were like next to my uh, necrophage. They were like the most dominant faction as well. And they kept hassling me with their big bushy mustaches. <laughs> Except they can't declare war on you. They could just like exactly. get in your but, trade routes. But, you know, being necrophage, I was like, well, I'm going to have to declare war on them because that's what the necrophage do. They hate everyone. They're kind of like teenagers, really, but zombie insects. <laughs> uh, so should we talk about the uh, the aesthetics now? You probably should. Um, as I said, this is, to my mind, one of the best-looking um, uh, empire-building games I've ever seen. I just can't think of one that immediately struck me with its color, probably since Civ Four, with the brightness of its color and the variedness of its terrain. And The way that um, they managed to kind of mix up the, the hex-based mm-hmm. uh, uh, kind of system with the actual environment is brilliant. Because, like, the mountains and hills are actually hexes. Yeah. Which is oh. it is just brilliant. It looks... And it makes the world look alien as well, which is nice, because this is not Earth or anything like Earth. This is a, an alien world in an alien universe. So, um, and just having these hex hills really kind of adds that. Yeah, so it, it looks like a topographical map where instead of you know you see the hills go up you see the lines that indicate that the elevation are and the elevation actually does go up on the map as well but it looks like the the sort of combination of a hill with a a map and um i'm pretty certain that in their when i was talking to them when i previewed it they said that this was specifically inspired by the game of thrones intro and you can see that in how the cities are built where it looks like the little pieces go up uh, little Lego pieces. Well, not quite Legos because they don't have the like block things. But you can see the the little blocks that are like expanding out of the ground. Um, but it takes it kind of accidentally a step further than the Game of Thrones intro, which only focuses on the cities, um, because it like puts that aesthetic for an entire coherent map. 
And this gives it like a constant mix of this is a real map that real things are moving around, but it's also an abstracted map that I'm pushing my toys around with. And it's really very much a best of both worlds for that. Um, so it's got the map that you're making your decisions based on, but it's also got like a really colorful, bright, interesting aesthetic. Um, the region system also helps too, because each region has its own weather um, or just like its own terrain mm -hmm. pattern. All like themed. there's a yeah, there's a step, there's a uh, there's desert, desert, icy uh, tundra. Ice. Um, pleasant forest plains um so there are like five or six of those and they're just like not necessarily randomly slapped next to one another like i've never seen a an icy one surrounded by desert although it could that I, could happen I have. you have yeah um, where so it was maybe like there's just... the desert and then right south of it was like just completely ice i was like well that's, uh, this is that's some odd weather <laughs> <laughs> this is like a, a sort of post-apocalyptic fantasy world. So this is, even that is plausible um, because it is like a broken world that, you know, some of the factions are trying to fix. Some of the factions are trying to escape. Some of the factions are trying to break further. Um, you've got like these regions with the very distinct feels right next to one another instead of the sort of blend that you get from another strategy game that may make sense especially for a civ that's a real world and you know we don't have those regions of um you know antarctica surrounded by the sahara but in a science fantasy game that's post-apocalyptic you can have that and it looks really good because every part of the map ends up looking interesting and then the second part of how good the map looks is that when you zoom out far enough, it becomes just like a total abstracted paper map, but still with the same kind of aesthetic, yeah. like the way that the hills are portrayed, it looks like the like building blocks thing and the colors of all the factions, the names of all the regions. It's You've like, got little doodles of trees that they've just sketched on the map as well. Yeah, it's it's just like... I know lots of games have tried to do this sort of paper map to real map, but the way that they slightly abstracted the real map and then they like applied that aesthetic to the paper map just makes it look so perfect. I mean, like, <laughs> the, 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 the Hegemony games are the ones probably who have probably done it best. This one's, uh, yeah. this one's probably, for a 4X Empire building game, this is just outstanding uh, the way it... One, someone on my Twitter feed said he wished there was a, there was a, a, a mini map to the game, and I was thinking when I saw that, yeah, I get, I understand why you might want a mini map, but you can scroll out so easily, and it's beautiful. Well, you can until your mouse wheel breaks, which is why I stopped playing. Oh dear! <laughs> oh no! Was uh, that from scrolling out too often, or was it, uh, it, it could have been like the the <laughs> this is the same mouse I had for like six years beforehand, and this one only seems to have lasted two. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's probably that. It's not just the the, the map and the terrain, and everything that just looks beautiful. The, I I, th I thought the factions are so well designed aesthetically mm -hmm. as well, um, and each and there's a an art style that flows throughout, but they are still much like the, the lore and their mechanics, distinct. So you've got, you know, the, the Broken Lords, almost art deco, uh, for, you know, from yeah. their cities to the way that the actual heroes and their troops are designed with these sleek, almost kind of minimalist gold designs. And it, it, it kind of, it looked like I was in some sort of gaudy club in Miami or something. 
the cultists are like Lovecraftian. Oh yeah, the weird masks, wavy arms and masks and uh, tentacle monsters and. And then yeah. you've got everything just kind of feels like it, it It makes sense, even though they're all so different. Uh, so I, I really did love that. Uh, and the cities are incredibly beautiful as well. And especially when they get really large. And they, they, all of them, the one kind of theme that runs throughout them is that they have almost like the spire, basically, at the heart of the city, really. Um and it, it almost looks like a sort of crashed spaceship, uh, which makes sense for at least one of them. I can't remember. Is it the Vaulters or whatever that were the, the that came yeah, from the, space or, or the Vaulters? Vault yeah, I think they're called the Vaulters, but or maybe Vault Dwellers. But yeah, they came from space. The cultists also want to go back to space. That's their mm. thing. Because a lot of them are because the world is dying essentially. Yeah. And there's there's some connection to like the uh, the lore of the endless who created all the dust and all that, and it's it seems complicated. And maybe I should play Dungeon of the Endless more to get the RPG form mm -hmm. of it into my brain. Um, but it just kind of like feels like the world all fits. Yeah, the music each faction has their own music when the game starts and it's really good at distinguishing each faction's just kind of tone because like you get this you get their very specific music and you watch that first city being built um with the like game of thrones style with the like stacking up and you just sort of get into uh their quest and their feeling of what like you're supposed to be doing as them and it's uh it's very difficult for a non-real world game to like get that connection to what the world is and who the factions are and so on. And in those legend makes it look easy. And they do some really brilliant, but subtle things like uh, one of the, the first uh, units that you can uh, recruit as the Draken are these just sort of like foot soldier type dudes, but they don't have wings. They, they look like dragons uh, bipedal dragons but no wings and that's actually part of the the story like when you recruit them there's a little story thing that's like they're trying to find out why in this new land their new soldiers are being born or hatched and they look yeah. different and like what's wrong with the world and there's something amiss i just love that they've they've tied just this unit design to the lore yeah, so I mean the net effect of this is that like even though we started talking about the strategic stuff and so on, mm -hmm. and even though like that's there and that's in my head, I just liked playing this game. Like it didn't it didn't really matter that it was that confusing. Like it mattered like at a certain point I'd restart the game or whatever, but I'd happily restart the game. It's like, ooh, I get to play a different faction. I get to hear their music. I get to watch their cities. I get to see a new map that uh, you know, wander around and um go questing and uh explore all the ruins and it just like is as a strategy game, I am uncertain of how great this is, but as like an overall experience, I am very happy with it. It's really one of the best realized original worlds, I think, uh, in a strategy game to come along quite some time, where the yeah. mythology, I mean, Endless Space really didn't work for me for some reason, but this time everything fits in this 
this really silly world where, I mean, I can't imagine a universe or a planet where these things would actually all exist at the same time. But that's, you know, one of the magics of games, right? All these weird, all this weirdness of fantasy world, they just come together. And it does have, the backstories do, it's a world where the backstories matter and they explain things. They're not just, oh, we're hardworking dwarves, therefore we get plus two to production. And actually everything is imbued in the in the look and in the colors uh, and in the gameplay. It is such a deep and well-realized universe. It does kind of feel like that, I think it is a good, strategy game I, I i really do but i don't think it's as important as just it feeling like a, a just a good fun game and i think like balance for instance comes in that as well like there are some factions i think are just really easy to play and just can you can just curb stomp the others with them uh really easily and there's some very simple strategies that you can use to dominate but i i think that the the balance isn't all that important as mm-hmm. it is the, the empowerment that you get with it. It's a little bit like with, you know, Crusader Kings and, and Europe Universalist, where the balance takes a backseat to just creating this fun experience. Um, and maybe that means that, because I, I haven't played, uh, I haven't played it multiplayer, um, but maybe that makes it less fun in the multiplayer, but as a single player game, it, it makes it feel quite, you know, empowering when you just and, and even when you're playing as somewhat uh, kind of an unbalanced race that's weaker, actually being able to dominate with them feels even better because it's like you've beat the system. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's just hard to say if like this is an actual major issue with the game or just kind of a weird feeling that it has. But I would also say that the uh, developers with the endless space and having put this through early access and all that uh, they demonstrated that they are willing to work with these games and rebalance and add to them for um, a lot longer than just the release, uh, which I think is auspicious for the whole, is this actually balanced thing? Uh, Although I don't know how they would get that information, maybe if uh, people are uploading their achievements or whatever. The game that it reminded me of from this year is actually Banished, which is another game that I just found really pleasant to play. I was so even though it was, even though it's not really a great strategy game. It, I mean, I think it is a great strategy game in some ways, but it doesn't have like the end meta game that would have made it like a super play it forever kind of right. thing. Um, it just has the feeling of like once you get your once you get the beginning stress <laughs> taken care of, um, and you're just like watching the little little people move around, going tink tink tink, hitting everything, like just being in the sort of like pseudo Skyrim world, and um, the entire presentation of it just like made me kind of happy. Endless Legend does it in a very different right. way; it's lush and detailed and all these things, but it's just like I enjoy the act of playing this game. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. It could explain why I keep restarting it. I just want to, I want to do it right, I guess. I just I keep finding new things. I think my biggest problem is I keep choosing random race. I should probably just learn one first yeah. instead of trying to relearn them every time. But so, any final words before I wrap this up? It's great. Play it <laughs> if you haven't already. 
it's probably my favorite map in a strategy game and i feel like saying that to a strategy gamer is like the highest recommendation you can give (laughs) it is available uh on steam of course i have canadian pricing on my steam now so i can't tell you for how much it is available uh but i do recommend you check it it's it's 40 dollars, i think um i recommend you check it out it is um it's pretty and it's interesting it is a kind of strategy game i think i'll be playing on and off for a very long time yeah it, it seems like a good kind of always there game to have like, I don't know what I want to play. Let's give this a go. Yeah, I, I, I hope this is the kind of game that other strategy designers play and they check out because there's a lot to learn here, I think, from Endless Legend. And it's worth mentioning as well that they've got plans for modding too. Oh, excellent. Uh, which is always great. And free add-ons and expansions and stuff like that. So I think that there's, you know, it is going to be like a sort of, it's always good to have a rank game because I think there's going to be progress as well. Great. Well, thank you, Rowan, and thank you, Fraser, for coming by again. We can always count on you for an interesting and enlightening show. And thanks, as always, to Michael Hermes, who will be putting all of this together into some sort of listenable shape very soon. Thank you all for listening, and have a good night.